Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. I'd like to start off by saying that uh, I was absolutely delighted, in fact, Rupert, uh, when you uh, requested that uh, I share some of my own journey about commercial conversions, a bit about capital allowances, and I know Richard Heyer, who I'm I've, I've spoken to in the past on a n- number of occasions. He'll be talking about commercial conversions, uh, sorry, about capital allowances, but I'll talk about how I've used capital allowances. And then, if I may, I'll talk a little bit about how you can also use a SAS or pensions uh, to mitigate your taxes, but also have a very interesting structure that I think people should be paying a lot of attention to. Uh, so I bought a commercial property uh, about three years ago, uh, two, two and a half, three years ago. And unfortunately, on, on that particular uh, property, we had to apply for planning uh, to convert it into flats. So the purchase price was £500,000. The planning and the legals and the SDLT and all that rigma role, uh, which as, and I think Collins right uh, when he said that, uh, planning officers are overworked, underpaid, uh, too much stuff on their desk, uh, and planning applications always, always take so long. I mean, I, I'm, I'm working on one, on one right now in Boston, uh, and we should have had it over the line. Uh, and I don't think it, it, we're going to be anywhere near the line uh, before Christmas. The one before that uh, I was working on in Grantham uh, for 100 houses took three years, three years for them to come back and say, no, you can't have the planning. Anyhow, this particular one uh, took uh, about nine months. Uh, so bought it for £500,000, 65000 for the planning, the legals, all of that. Uh, and the cost to refurbish it uh, is £400,000. We paid cash to buy the property uh, and we've uh, financed the development costs. So all in all, and forgive me for throwing numbers at you, I prefer not to use slides because I'd rather have a a conversation. So Rupert, if anybody has any questions, feel free to stop me and uh, ask the question. I'm more than happy to answer them. So you'll have to trust me uh, when I say that uh, the build cost or the development cost plus all of the costs equated to just over a, a million pounds, one million and 17,000 uh, and the end GDV value uh, was 1.32 million plus we've got a two bedroom bungalow on top that's worth 150,000 so we're near the 1.5 million mark but let's leave the bungalow to the side uh, the profit on this particular deal was just over 300,000 pounds so 302,000 pounds what we did was we bought it as a partnership uh, and the one of the first things I, I'll b- bring to people's attention, I know Sue's on this call here, so she may wish to contribute it. If, when you're buying commercial property, you might 
have to pay VAT on it if uh, the previous person or one of the previous owners uh, has opted to tax. What that basically means is uh, at some point in the past, usually they wanted to carry out major refurbishment work to the property uh, and wanted to get the VAT back. So HMRC, as nice as they are, say, of course, you can have the VAT back, but you, you there's two things you have to do. One is charge VAT on the rent going forward. And the second is when you sell the property, you've got to charge VAT uh, on the disposal. So if you're looking to do a commercial conversion and you're having to pay VAT, uh, one of the options available to you, subject to the vendor agreeing, is you can uh, file a, a VAT 1614D, which basically says you're going to convert the property to commercial from commercial to residential. Uh, and that's gonna save you on paying the VAT. It's going to save you on the SDLT because the stamp duty land tax is paid on the purchase price plus the VAT on top. Uh, so, and that's obviously extra stamp duty land tax because SDLT works in different tiers. Uh, on top of that, you then don't have to raise funds to f uh, for the VAT element. You then don't have to uh, file VAT returns to try and get the VAT back. That can take three months and I've seen it take nine months uh, because HMRC, as, as nice as they are, they like collecting money they don't like refunding money as much. So uh, do consider the VAT 1614D. After having purchased it, uh, one of the first things that we did was uh, claim capital allowances. Now the capital allowances claim on this particular building, which we paid 500,000 pounds for, uh, came to just over 126,000 pounds. So in percentage terms, although I don't like to see capital allowances quoted in percentage terms where just over 25% of the building uh, cost uh, was attributable to capital allowances, which I'll come on to in a second. Uh, so after having bought the, the property, we've got the capital allowances claim. We were very clear that we were going to move this particular business into a limited company. And we were also very clear that we were going to run serviced accommodation once we've converted it. So after having obtained the planning, you can imagine there's going to, that there's going to be an uplift in the value of the property or the asset. If you then move that asset uh, from uh, a partnership business, and it doesn't have to be a partnership as such, a, uh, but if, if you move it from, from a partnership business into a limited company, you'll get an uplift in the base cost because the value of the, the property has gone up. And in very simple terms, without complicating it and without making it too technical, what that means is uh, at some point in the future, when we look to sell that property or part of that property in a through the limited company, we're going to reduce our capital gain. Now, of course, companies don't pay capital gains tax, they pay corporation tax, but they still make a capital gain on the value of the asset. So you, in our example, we bought it for 500,000 pounds. Having obtained and planning, it was worth 650,000 pounds. So when it moves into uh, the limited company, there's that 150,000 uh, pounds uplift that, that we get, which we wouldn't get if we sold it through the partnership. Some of the kind of key relief that we claimed before I, I 
get onto service accommodation, uh, which helped us a lot. Uh, the first one was there, there was a significant amount of asbestos in the property. Uh, so we had that cleared and by having done so, we were able to claim land remediation relief uh, at 150%. So that gave us uh, an additional, well, just over 14,000 pounds in additional relief. Something else which we did, which worked really well, it is like a tax. Uh, and I think sometimes some people don't see it as a tax. It's, I was working on a different development again in Boston. So this on this particular property, it was empty. We were having to pay business rates. Uh, and I got talking to a, a local charity uh, and they work with homeless people uh, and they wanted to use the, the premises to create some opportunities for homeless people to go in there, have a cup of tea, someone to, to, to talk to. So I gifted them use. When I say I, obviously I had uh, other business partners because it, it's a partnership, but we gifted use of the property to the charity. And what that meant was uh, they were liable for the business rates. Now, usually charities uh, get a, an 80% an discount on, on business rates they can apply for the additional 20% discretionary rates relief, which they did and they, they obtained that. So that saved us just over 10,000 pounds in uh, business rates, which again, as I've said, is a tax. On, on incorporation, you'll recall I said from the uplift was from 500 to 650,000 pounds. So that additional 150,000 uh, pounds saved us, well, it's going to save us tax at some point in the future if the corporation tax rate stays at 19%, that's gonna save us 28,500 pounds. The physical saving on the capital allowances, as in the tax saving on the 126,000 pounds worth of capital allowances, that's going to save us 23,964 pounds in tax, which is pretty sizable. The saving on the uh, on the the STLT uh, in, in terms of the the VAT was seven and a half thousand pounds. Uh, so you can see uh, as you start adding up all of these numbers, it's well over a hundred thousand pounds that we were able to save uh, just by using certain tax allowances in a pretty smart way. Now, of course, if you're looking to do a refurb from commercial to residential. Uh, you'll then pay 5% VAT on the refurb and not 20%. However, if you decide to buy all of the materials yourself, then you'll be paying 20% uh, VAT on the material. So the best thing to do is to subcontract the whole lot to a contractor. So they buy the materials and the labor and only charge you 5% VAT on the whole lot. So the uplift in profit uh, was from 302,000 pounds all the way up to uh, 417,000 pounds. So we, we, we were able to increase our profit by best part of uh, 112,000 pounds by using different tax reliefs and allowances. Uh, and I think you should seriously consider those. Now what we've done is obviously the property ends up in a, a limited company. We run that as uh, service accommodation. We now get a second bite at the cherry. Again, I'm sure Richard Heyer will cover this during his talk. But 
because we've refurbished the property, we, we can now claim additional capital allowances on all the new uh, fixtures and fittings that we have in the building. So that gives us even more to claim. Uh, and you, there's something called the annual investment allowance, which at the moment is at a million pounds, which means you can write off a million pound worth of expenditure in one go. That's going to finish at the end of this uh, calendar year. Then it's going to go back to £200,000 unless the government decide to change the rules. So you can very quickly accelerate your allowances. And how that would work as a very simple example is let's say I made £200,000 worth of uh, profit in the first year. And let's say I've got uh, £200,000 worth of uh, new capital allowances. I can write off those £200,000 uh, worth of new capital allowances in the first year thereby paying no corporation tax whatsoever. Uh, so it, it is pretty powerful. Something which you'd need to be aware of, which won't apply, especially if you're holding on to the service accommodation units is obviously if you sell those units, uh, you might have a balancing charge to pay. But again, we're not going get, to get into the complications of how tax works. Once I'm running those serviced accommodation units, as long as they are meeting the rules of being a service accommodation unit, the big benefit, of course, is you've got uh, capital allowances. Section 24 doesn't affect you, especially if, if you hold the properties in your own name or in a partnership or an, or an LLP. And I am going to come on to LLPs in a, uh, a few moments, but obviously Section 24 doesn't apply uh, if you own properties in a limited company anyhow but that's a benefit on top of that uh, you can make pension contributions so going back to my earlier example of where if you've got two hundred thousand pounds in profit you can write it up against your uh, capital allowances let's now say you've made two hundred forty thousand pounds or two hundred fifty thousand uh, pounds of profit you write off the two hundred thousand pounds against the capital allowances You've got £50,000 remaining on which you'll have to pay 19% corporation tax. If you want to make a pension contribution, uh, you could do up to £40,000 per person. And if you haven't made any contributions in the last three years, as long as you were part of a pension plan, you can, you, you've carried those forward. You can use some of your unused allowance. So you can very quickly see how this is now building up uh, to making uh, quite significant tax savings by using capital allowances, some of the other tax reliefs plus pensions. But I'm not going to go into pensions in detail because A, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor and B, it's outside the remit and the scope. But what, what the real uh, big ongoing saving was that if we kept the properties in our, uh, I say properties, uh, the, the commercial property which becomes service accommodation units, if we kept them in our own names, going forward, as we would make more profit, we'd have had to pay income tax. Whereas having moved them into a limited company, all we'll be doing going forward after having claimed all of our capital allowances and any pension contributions, we'll be paying corporation tax. Now all three of us are higher rate stroke additional rate taxpayers, which means we'd have had to pay 40% or 45% tax if the service accommodation business remained in our names. But because we, we moved it into a limited company, 
but only ever going to pay 19% corporation tax on the balance of, of the profits. And then if we choose not to take any money for ourselves, which is going to be the case, we can recycle the rest of the money to either buy further serviced accommodation units or we can loan the additional funds to a, a separate limited company and buy more properties to hold on to. Or we can expand our uh, existing serviced accommodation business and, and buy more units through the existing limited company. So I, I think that's a, a pretty neat way, uh, Rupert, of using uh, Section 162 Incorporation Relief uh, to buy a, a property, have an uplift, then move it into a limited company uh, and uh, make significant and substantial tax savings, which, which I think people should pay a lot of, of attention to. So, so that's a, a pretty neat way of using service accommodation. One of the questions that you asked, uh, Rupert, was uh, what then happens if we stop running a service accommodation business and just have a standard buy to let? Well, one of the big challenges you have is obviously if you've accelerated your capital allowances uh, by using the annual investment allowance, for example, uh, then you'll have a balancing charge. So you'll have to pay some tax back because you paid less tax in a previous year because you claimed your allowances quicker than you should have. And of course, if you then also become a standard buy-to-let business, you can't claim capital allowances. Uh, but on some of the communal stroke common areas, you'll, you'll be able to claim some of the capital allowances on that if, if you turn it into a, a large HMO, say. But if they all become... Uh, single unit uh, buy-to-let uh, properties, then capital allowances uh, are not going to qualify. So you need to be aware of that. Uh, alongside, there's many other benefits and reliefs available to a service accommodation business. So another one which sticks out is uh, entrepreneur's relief, which is now called business asset disposal relief. Unfortunately, the lifetime limit reduced from 10 million pounds down to a million pounds on the 11th of March earlier this year, but a million pounds still better than nothing. So if you sell your serviced accommodation business and let's say you sell it for a million pounds, you'll only pay a uh, hundred thousand pounds tax by claiming entrepreneurs relief or business asset disposal relief. That is not going to apply uh, if you change your business from serviced accommodation into a standard buy-to-let business. Uh, on top of that, uh, depending on the level of services you provide through a service accommodation business, you may be able to uh, uh, claim business property relief, which is now known as business relief, uh, which basically is going to uh, reduce your inheritance tax exposure, depending again on the level of services provided uh, by your service accommodation business. If it's a standard buy-to-let business, you can't uh, qualify for, for business relief. So there are quite a few different reliefs available. And um, by the way, land remediation relief, which I covered earlier, the same thing applies to that. All of these different, or the majority of these reliefs only apply to a trading business or a, or a business which qualifies for certain, certain tax reliefs because it's treated as trading for certain tax purposes. Uh, so those are some of the things that people need to bear in mind. 
I'm going to try and make or keep this as uh, simple as I can. Uh, and again, anybody has any questions, feel free to ask. So a limited liability partnership for all intents and purposes is the same as a standard partnership, but you've got the added benefit of limited liability. Uh, the only major difference, I guess, uh, is that with a, a standard partnership, nobody knows what you're up to apart from you, your partners, your accountant and HMRC. With a limited liability partnership, some of your information is available at company's house. So you've got the additional exposure uh, which some people don't like to have. So uh, apart from that, uh, Rupert, uh, LLPs are the same as uh, a standard partnership. And if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, LLPs were introduced in 2001 and were mainly used at the time by accountants and lawyers, uh, but have now become more common. I still don't I think they are used as well as they should do by most accountants just because I think accountants have either shied away from grasping how they work or perhaps some of them think it's they're not appropriate when they are. Uh, so you, as the name suggests, there has to be two or more entities. So it can be two people or two, two or, or more people or Rupert, I could set up a limited liability partnership with myself and a limited company. That is what's known as a mixed partnership or having a corporate partner. So as long as there's two or more entities, you can have a limited liability partnership. If you go into partnership with a limited company, have a, have a mixed partnership, then there are certain rules that people need to be aware of. And I think that the tax rules changed in 2014, 2015, uh, in terms of how you can distribute uh, profits. So people do need to be careful because unfortunately at the time, uh, certain tax advisors were using uh, the tax rules slightly aggressively. So the government changed the rules, but an LLP is transparent for, for tax purposes. So Rupert, if you and I ha are both partners in an LLP and the LLP makes a uh, hundred thousand pounds in profit. And if you and I own 50% uh, uh, each of the LLP, uh, we would be accessible on half the profit each. However, the beauty of an LLP, just like a normal partnership is this. One year, you might say, Shaz, we've made a, a hundred grand profit. I need 70,000 pounds. Can I take the, the extra cash this year and next year or in a subsequent year, you can then make up for the additional 20,000 I've taken. So we can change the profit share ratio, which doesn't have to be in line with our capital ratio. So if you have a limited company and you and I own 50% of the shares each, we have to take the, uh, our dividends in line with our shareholding, unless we have alphabet shares or ABCD shares. Uh, but if we've just got ordinary shares, we both should take uh, our dividends in proportion to our shareholding. An LLP or a partnership just is not limited or restricted to that, whereas the partners can change the amount of uh, profit upon agreement, which doesn't have to be in line with their ownership of uh, that particular entity. So that's something to bear in mind. Of course, the limited 
liability uh, ring fencing uh, gives people a lot of confidence uh, and security and certainty. So people like it for that particular reason. Certain people, because they like limited, the limited liability, uh, they they want that, but they don't like having a limited company because you've got all, all the additional uh, rigmarole of uh, company law that they have to follow. So again, a an LLP works well. And then uh, things like that, you don't have any uh, benefits in kind. So if you and I had a limited company and we both wanted uh, a car each, which we use personally, which we take home every night and there's personal use, we'll then have to pay company car tax and file a P11D. But with an LLP, uh, because we are the business to some extent, uh, there's no benefit in kind, there's no P11D to, to file. All you and I would do is work out how much of the car we use for personal purposes and how much of the car we use for business purposes. And at the end of the year, when we're filing our tax returns, we just make an adjustment for personal use and the rest of the expenditure we claim through the LLP. So it's it's just like a partnership, but it has limited liability attached to it. So it's a very useful tool. Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.